Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, hey, White Sox fans. Guess what? It's time for another Southside Sox Mothership podcast. It's number 63. We've got some stuff to talk about. We're talking on a day off. Uh, didn't really have a podcast to roll out on a day off. Oh, that's bad planning by somebody. Maybe one of the guys in here with me. It couldn't be me. It's number 63. I got three guests here. First of all, he just... He, he risked, he knew going in was going to be trouble. He risked an undefeated record to do some coverage during the one game. The White Sox got clobbered by the Cubs, uh, quite a sacrifice for the team. And uh, let everybody else who's covering sort of catch up a little bit. Uh, it's uh, Zachary Jebediah, Roscoe, Boom Boom Hayes. Thank you, Zach, for that sacrifice. And thank you for joining me here uh, tonight, appreciate having you with us here for Southside Sox podcast. It's uh, Darren Black uh, because, well, Darren actually is just in the other room. He just, he follows me everywhere for podcasts. Um, really, Darren, turn down your speakers. I can hear you reverberating in this room. Anyway, that's Darren Black. You, uh, He's the guy you know as our Miners podcast fella. And you know what? <laughs> Perhaps as early as tomorrow, uh, you'll see us talking about the minors. But right now, it's just majors. No minors. No, Darren, no minor league. Not, not at all. None. Zero. Uh, of course, uh, uh, batting third, fourth, whatever it is in the lineup here. It is super, super, super Joseph Rhesus. Uh, I believe he is uh, maybe tied for first in coverage. Darren, unfortunately, has chose to cover the minors this year. So I believe Darren's about 50 games below 500. <laughs> However, Super Joseph and uh, Zach have been, um, you know, smart enough just to hang with, you know, with the winning team. So anyway, those are the introductions. We got a little bit of stuff to talk about White Sox wise. First thing I want to talk about, because I just will never stop talking. Apologies, fellas. 
Uh, State of the White Sox right now, uh, fourth best record in the American League. That's down from where they were at a certain point. They project, if you look at run differential, they project to 98 wins. Of course, you project with run differential. You'd also recognize that the White Sox are running about four games worse than that. Blame it on Tony, blame it on bad luck. I don't know, but they are running lower, uh, worse than they should be. But the magic number, which is really sort of all that matters, you guys can weigh in, uh, is just 23. So uh, just give me the state of sacks. We just came off a run that was supposedly going to be the toughest after the all-star break. I uh, think they finished nine and eight in that stretch. I don't know, something like that. Pretty close to 500. Not terribly inspiring, but not tragic either. Uh, how are you guys feeling about where the White Sox are right now heading into the last month of the season? Personally, I've been feeling pretty similar to how I felt for a little while in that the playoffs are not going to be a challenge for them to to reach. Uh, it's looking less and less likely that you know some team from the AL Central is going to go on some big run and just you know pull pull off some sort of miracle um, and pass them. Uh, it's so they'll have they'll make it to the American League Division Series. No no need to worry about that random one game playoff um, in the wild card game. Um, so that in it. Uh, is a very good thing, but um, there are still some questions as far as their ability to take on um, teams like the Rays and the Astros on the road in the playoffs because um, their home road splits are um, pretty sizable so far this season, and um, and uh, one of the more disappointing series was the one in Tampa Bay lately, and that's a team that the White Sox very well could face in this year's playoffs. So that would be where my biggest concern is um but um they've done a very good job on of beating up on the al central and that cannot be taken for granted and, and perhaps also as to asterisk where they are right now as well okay joseph spoke on the al central we do not need to acknowledge al central because he was just being overly generous to say that there's maybe now there's no longer a chance anything was going to happen that was about the first week of the season it seems but uh uh zach uh darren high feeling yeah, they're they're right on track. They're about where they should be, I think. I don't necessarily like it. I don't think we should necessarily like it. But the fact is, you know, even at the point where the season started, they kind of made an executive decision to be like a 92-93 win team that wins the division handily rather than really push all the chips in and be right. a 98-100 to 100 win team. And that, you know, is what it is. And the moves they made at the deadline, picking up Kimbrough and Tapera are fantastic, but those are moves that are going to win games in October and not necessarily win more regular season games. So uh, as much as I would like them to, you know, keep going on these six or seven game tears, and this is really, really frustrating seeing them kind of be mediocre against good teams. Uh, you know, the fact is we've still, they still put out the A lineup, the lineup with Robert and, and Eloy and Grandalt have been together in the lineup like once or twice all year. They're still punting games in the regular season. Mm-hmm. So it kind of sucks, mm-hmm. but they are on track. This is the track that they chose, I should say. Um, so my evaluation, yeah, has not particularly changed much recently. Yeah, mine's been basically the same as well. Um, just kind of what I'm looking for at this point is just hoping guys stay healthy and getting back the few guys that aren't healthy um, to be better, like Evan Marshall and Adam Engel whenever they come back. Um, and then hopefully they at least are uh, the with the home field advantage for the division series because right now uh, Houston's only a game up on them. And I think that's pretty huge if they could get uh, the 
uh, home field advantage in that case. I don't think they'll catch Tampa Bay, but those are the things I'm looking for. Excited for the playoffs. Um, but they have some work to do, obviously, to get the pitching right again. Um, but the hitting is finally there. So at least at least something is looking like it's playoff ready right now. Is there a concern? It's uh, easy to overreact game to game. And obviously the White Sox can be in a position, as Zach referred to, you know, sort of play the sort of long game, set up for the playoffs because they're in. I mean, they're in like in March, it seems. But uh, on the other hand, I don't like, and again, this is something I think Zach alluded to here as well. Um, I don't like the idea of just, well, you know, it doesn't matter until the playoffs. And of course, the playoffs are what matter, but <laughs> I would like to be the Rays. Now, granted, <laughs> probably every year I could say that, but I would rather be a team that's really humming or the Yankees obviously certainly pick things up. Uh, you don't want to burn out. You don't want to get all your, uh, you don't want to get all your makes out in the regular season, of course, then get swept in a, in a first round. However, I also don't want to necessarily shuffle into the, into the playoffs. Is there a concern? It's easy to say, Oh, come on. Playoffs all that matters. Shut up, Brett. But on the other hand, we also don't want to just, we don't want to backpedal into October either. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's huge. I think stone said it on a broadcast it was a few weeks ago, at least, but uh, talking to those Cleveland teams that, you know, won the division, they, they did the same thing. And that's why they let Edwin Encarnacion go. That's why um, they traded uh, Mike Clevenger, why they traded Corey Kluwer, because they know they can cut payroll and still cruise the division every year. And I believe what Stone was saying was that talking to those guys, like it does have an effect when you're not really playing balls to the wall, competitive baseball for two months. And then suddenly you, it's hard to flip a switch like that. So my hope is that the race for home field or at least like, you know, the two seed or the one seed kind of heats up a little bit and becomes a thing. Cause I'm completely with you. I don't like the idea of kind of being on cruise control until there's suddenly 40,000 screaming people there. And some of them aren't even your fans. So it's like, Tony's been there. He's won 86 divisions, man. He knows what he's doing. Okay. I get it. All right. I'm willing to, I, I suppose I'm willing to hand the keys to him. So to speak, uh, uh, to be able to manage this as a very manager, but, uh, Darren, uh, uh, Joe, uh, thoughts there? Of course, we want to win every game, but is it important to win a lot of games in September? Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, at a certain point, you're going to want to have Reynaldo Lopez or Mike Wright or whomever the two guys they call up in September to take spot starts just to keep people fresh off of a 60-game 2020 season. And now we're in the final two in very important months. You want to keep you know, the bullets left in their arms. Um, but other than that, like they should be going out and throwing everything that they can to get at home field advantage for at least one series. Like I, again, I'm not super confident that they'll be the best team, best record in the American league, but second is right there for the taking. And I think that's huge for them because I mean, it was huge last year. We saw that they couldn't really get it done in the, in the final game because, you know, I mean, <laughs> Ricky Renneria was, I mean, he was fired for that performance, but it was a huge difference going from uh, uh, going to play in Oakland. But yeah. you still got to keep people healthy. Rodon, you don't really want him starting like all the time. Uh, Cease is, don't really want him starting all the time, but there's a certain point where you got to keep beating up on these really bad teams like. Um, I, I think they need to win these next five games with the Royals and the Pirates. That'd be awesome. They could get out of their seven and seven mini slump or whatever you want to call it the past couple of weeks and then kind of ride that out. But 
Um, I don't think it's a gigantic issue, but again, home field advantage for at least one series is a big thing for me, at least. Yes, I don't have that much to add to that. I would obviously home field advantage would be very good. Um, the White Sox have played some really good baseball on the south side of Chicago this year without a question. Um, but if forced to pick between one, a full a roster at full strength or home field advantage, I would take a roster at full strength. Reasonably said by Sox math champion, Joseph Reeses. Let's uh, talk for a second because, you know, this was supposed to be like a, like a crosstown review and, you know, you know, on one hand, who cares, but uh, all right. Th- thoughts on the Cubs series took five or six uh, a ridiculous series where they scored 8,000 runs, only won two games. Uh, certainly fun to see them piling runs up. Nice to just see the offense break out, even if it get, if it's against a high A team. Uh, thoughts on it. And I guess beyond that, beyond thoughts on the series, uh, does it already feel like punching down? And, uh, as a corollary to that, is it now no longer fair or fun to make fun of the Cubs? I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious to know about your thoughts on the weekend and the larger, more esoteric pictures, uh, involving our crosstown rivals. I will say it's always fun to make fun of the Cubs in any circumstance, even if the Sox are bad and the Cubs are good. <laughs> We've been doing it for four fun. years. <laughs> like when they won in 2016, well, you, we won it first. So <laughs> we, that is always my backdrop. But again, yeah, like, is it punching down? Sure. But our division's really bad, so it's it's punching down for a lot of the season. <laughs> Every it's team we look at, yeah, they're yeah. they're everywhere. All right, well, there's no wrong answers, guys, but Darren's Darren nailed it there. Darren nailed it. Depends on the sportsmanship of the Cubs fans, in my opinion. It uh, it's if you have a bunch of screenshots from 2018. Um, where they're like trashing the rebuilds, go like I, I think that during the crosstown series, you know, when the Sox are up thirteen and one, that's a perfect time to bring those back out, especially if they're you know, not being such good sports about, um, uh, you know, having their team gutted this year, um, and you know, the Sox having obviously one of their best years in in recent memory. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if you know, they're respectful. Yeah, I'm going to just lay off. I'm just going to yeah, say, you know, good game. <laughs> um, it just just sort of depends. Okay, Darren was in the gutter. Uh, uh, Joe took the professorial route. Um, Zach, uh, split the difference here. Yeah, I really think it depends on the fan. Like, I know a lot of Cubs fans, you know, who have been who have been around for a long time, and they know how this these things go in cycles and how it goes up and down. And you know, they're for the most part. I have not. I've heard not heard much of a peep from them. There, they know what it is. I do think though that there is probably a very large uh, segment of their fan base that the Cubs really only picked up around like 2015, 2016 when that run started happening. And these people have not necessarily experienced the Cubs being what they have been for the large majority of their history. So if those folks want to run their, I mean, if anyone wants to run their mouths, I'm just going to be sitting here watching the Sox win being like, haha, it's not going to, it's no skin off my back. Um, but yeah, no, they're Cubs fans are open season. If they're, if they're, if they're being jerks about it. Uh, otherwise we can, we can have respectful relations uh, as to the series though. I will say that even when times were lean, the crosstown always had a little bit of extra oomph to it. It was always 
it was always a little more competitive than your standard, even, you know, your standard weekend series, I guess. So I'm also not going to ding them as much as we might for the Cubs basically being a minor league team right now, because, you know, they were coming to play, you know, they wanted to win, you know, it's not a, it's never, never quite a normal series. So I'm always going to take a little extra enjoyment and having it be a beat down. Yeah. Well, Zachary, I'm certainly going to ding them for being a minor league team because they voluntarily chose to do this. And we can debate if this was a Cubs podcast, we debate that, but it's not a Cubs podcast. We're smart fans. We're good people. So we're not talking about the Cubs any more than we have to. So let's drag ourselves out of that. Although the Cubs are going to haunt us in the second half of this podcast. I'll just throw in that. Yes, I have certainly, I fall a little bit more in line, I suppose, with Darren's answer. And one thing mentioned on our prior podcast number 62, among the far-reaching topics that Bill and I discussed was the fact that we have a very different scenario in the 2020s ahead for us. We talk about this being in cycles, but it's been a solid 40 years. I believe the anniversary just passed of the Tribune buying the, white, uh, buying the Cubs. Uh, it changed the complexion of fandom, uh, obviously complexion of coverage. It molded fans in a way, it, it put a thumb on a scale in a way that we've never seen before in Chicago. Uh, and now that the shackles are off, it's going to be a very interesting decade. And I think fandom is going to take a twist. You've even seen some of the stories now, both the Sun-Times and the former Cubs uh, mouthpiece Tribune, both throwing out things like, can the White Sox take over the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It speaks to a lot of longtime bias in this city that, that people, maybe particularly younger fans, may not really be able to grasp, maybe because they don't know any better, Zach, referred to fans who've just been around since like the World Series or, uh, or, a, or a division title run for the Cubs. Uh, they're in for a rude awakening. And that goes for the longtime fans as well, because you're going to see empty seats. Not going to fan shame, who cares? Attendance shame, who cares? Uh, but you can see empty seats. You can see a lot of things you're not used to seeing with the Cubs. And, uh, you know, as a Sox fan, it's going to be fun to uh, sit back and really enjoy. Let's um, let's take a quick break. We're going to talk. A, oh, we're going to talk more White Sox. We're going to talk a little more broad baseball as well in the second half. But uh, we're going to take a break. Be right back with you with Southside Sox Mothership Podcast number 63. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I have a delightful trio of guests here with me. Uh, you're going to have to rewind to the start of the podcast to get the extended intro. But for now, let's just call them Zach and Joe and Darren, the guy in the other room. I wish he'd turn down a speaker, but whatever. I'm just dealing with reverb. So all my stumbles here, it's Darren's fault. Okay. Darren Black, miners guy, miners update. Uh, okay. We are going to talk now about, I want your call for, is it going to be somebody from the pitching staff? Is it going to be a hitter? Who's your Chicago White Sox MVP with a month left in the season? Who's your MVP? Um, 
I'm going to say Carlos Rodon. And I feel like Lance Lynn would probably be the popular choice here because um, he is probably going to finish top two, top three in Cy Young voting. But, um, you know, Los would be right there if it wasn't for being hurt. And the thing for me especially is that we, you know, Lynn was acquired to be a number one or two playoff starter. Uh, you know, we know what Tim Anderson is going to give us. And we know what we're going to get out of Moncada and Grandal for the most part. Rodon is the one, the, you know, X factor on this roster who's going to win playoff games for them, who is not supposed to be there. Uh, and he's a large part of the reason why he was carrying them to wins when they were throwing out lineups with Billy Hamilton and Brian Goodwin and Danny Mendick and Larry Garcia, all within five spots of each other. Um, those are games that, you know, I think we'd be in a much different position in the division, especially with that early season run, um, if it wasn't for him. Because everyone else was all the, the other pitching staff are doing what they were expected of him. Rodon is everything that he does right now is just icing on the cake, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um... If we're going to take, uh, like, if someone X and X didn't get injured, I think it'd be Luis Robert. I think he would be far and away the best player or the most war uh, on the team because I think he's actually, like, fifth in the lineup in war, and he's played 40 games, which is just, <laughs> he's just really good. Um, but, yeah, Rodon, um, they've already signed Lance Lynn, so I'm not expecting Rodon to be back. And if this was his last year here and he finally reached his, you know, number three pick potential, that, that's, that'd just be awesome story for him to go out on. Um, he's been fantastic all year long. Um, I mean, he, just early on in the season where he was in the sixth, seventh inning getting to a hundred pitches and then still throwing 99, which is something I would not have expected a couple of years ago, you know, five surgeries ago whatever it was for him. And it's just, uh, it's just an amazing story um, that he's been able to have the success he's had. And now he might even start game one of the playoffs too. Um, but yeah, I definitely uh, Rodon um, were standing out for injury. I would say Robert, but we can't do that. So I'll go with Rodon. Somebody might be able to, because I think if I can remember all the way back and I'm an old man, so I don't know if I can remember this far back, but I seem to remember that Joe Reese's was definitely on the Luis Robert hype train. I'm not sure if he picked him for MVP of the league. I don't know if he just picked him for White Sox MVP. I don't know if I'm just having a brain fart and I don't remember it right correctly at all. So if there's anyone tempted to actually call Luis Robert the team MVP, it might be Joe Reese's, but I'll stop talking now and let Joe let us know who his MVP pick is. You are correct that I picked Luis Robert to be the White Sox MVP this season. Unfortunately, (laughs) he has been injured too much of this season for me to pick him for this, but he has been absolutely incredible in the time that he has seen the field this year, and I've been very impressed. Um, Carlos Rodon absolutely has the best story out of any White Sox player this year. I would lean toward Lance Lynn though for MVP on um, that trade, you know, six years of Dane Dunning for at the time, one year of Lance Lynn before they extended him. That looked a little strange at the time. Um, and I was a little concerned that, okay, if they don't really maximize on this one year, then that we might look back on that trade in a couple of years and be like, eh, okay, we, you know, traded, um, you know, six years of Dane Dunning for like one year of maybe a slightly above average pitcher, but he's been far better than above average. Um, he's been quite a big spark to the team as well. And yeah, he said himself and many people have agreed that he fits very well with the, um, on the South side. He, his personality just kind of meshes well with the team and 
um, he, yeah, the, the results have been there consistently um, um, throughout the season. And I'm, I would say so far, yeah, that trade is working out just about as well as it, it could have gone. I'm, uh, I would, I'm picking Carlos Rodon, but because I don't want to be boring, I don't want to put anybody to sleep. I'm going to say my MVP for the White Sox is Andrew Vaughn. Now, of course, you're not going to pick a guy who's got a 1.3 war or whatever, you know, as your MVP. But the fact that the guy took it all, nothing is thrown. He's played second base, for God's sake. Uh, he's not really gone underwater during the season. Uh, he's playing, I think, right field some now. Uh, he's a good teammate. He's got a Tony tried to bury him like in the first series, it seemed like, and he's like, whatever. Okay. I'm just here. I'm happy to be here. I'm just going to mash. Uh, seems like he's evened out some of his, maybe his uneven splits. You, you guys, you smart guys could, could tell me, but I know for a while he's definitely struggling a lot against right-handers and maybe that's evened out a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but just to not, to just not be a sheep here. Although, you know, Joe, bless you, Lance Lynn, instead of Carlos Ron. I'm saying Andrew Vaughn is my MVP, but there's still a month to go. So who knows? It could be Cesar Hernandez. It could be. Uh, okay, so that's MVPs for the White Sox. Uh, we could talk about call-ups, but you know what? Me and Darren, um, we might just sit down and talk in the other room. We might not do a podcast. We might just chat, and then maybe we'll write a little story up about it, um, or we'll just share our notes. We'll scan our notes about it. Uh, but if we do have a podcast, we'll probably be talking about that tomorrow. So forget call-ups, whatever. Zach Collins probably has to come back whatever. Uh, but let's talk about a baseball-wide issue, which is um, at times ridiculous, uh, maybe sort of serious. Uh, there's a lot of criticism that can be levied on the organization, not just the players. Over there in Gotham, the New York Mets have a little controversy on their hands because apparently Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor and a few other guys want to do like a thumbs down back to the boo birds at city field. Uh, it's erupting the controversy. The Mets immediately, like within five seconds, seemingly came down hard and said, that's not going to be tolerated. And meanwhile, there are probably still various sexual offenders throughout their uh, organization, uh, creating malfeasances at every level of the New York Mets. So a little bit of inconsistency there. Okay. Javier Baez situation, thumbs down or booing, essentially booing back to fans who boo. It's just not going to fly in New York. But what are your thoughts on this controversy? Well, for me, it started out as like a, like an embarrassingly funny story. Like the fact that they thought a rallying cry for the team was to thumbs down the fans was just like really funny to me, but in an embarrassing, like a very deeply embarrassing way. Um, and I just thought like, Oh, this is silly. Um, and maybe it'll be like a couple games, but um, I did think it was odd that, you know, the guys that were acquired this year, uh, Lindor and Javi Baez were kind of the leaders of it, which seemed strange. Um, but and then the GM got involved and like made it serious. And then it was just like embarrassingly embarrassing. And it was just like, <laughs> that's not, this is not, they finally won a game and this, this happened. It was just really, I mean, like I remember I was at the game where Chris Sale cut up the jerseys and I just remember thinking like, that was just so funny. Like, I can't believe I was there for that. And then story after story came out and it was like wow this is like one of the more embarrassing things I've ever heard and then that's kind of the same kind of same feelings here for for Javi Baez and yeah. the New York 
Amazing Mets. At a much <laughs> higher price tag than New York. Yes, funny. Francisco Lindor and Javier Barros are going to change, what is it, 60 years of baseball <laughs> with the New York Mets. Okay, Zach, Joe, what do you think? Um, man, yeah. Uh, Mets, man. It's the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing. Look, it's only embarrassing if you take it that seriously, you know? <laughs> and on that note, so I have like... <sighs> Yeah, everyone everyone looks really dumb here. It's like, okay, I think from an aesthetic perspective, from someone who enjoys watching baseball be played, Javi Baez is one of my favorite players to watch on the planet. That being said, uh, Javi should know full well that, you know, your you know, the amount of celebration or jeering you get is commensurate with your performance. If you get, you know, light a pitcher up, you get to celebrate. If you get lit up, you let the pitcher celebrate against you. If you play badly in New York, you are going to get booed. Like it's that again, also that being said, players motivate themselves in weird ways. If they want to do that fun thumbs down thing, you know what, who the hell cares? Who cares? And to cap that off, the thing that is really ridiculous about it and why I can't really, reserve too much comment for Javi and Lindor and Pilar and those guys. Cause like, it, you know, their players are weird. They'll do what they need to do to get in the zone. Uh, that's always been the case. However, the media members and the Mets management who are taking all of this time and doing all of this yelling and screaming when none of them could have bothered to point out the fact that Sandy Alderson lied to my, to our face collectively mm-hmm. about what the team knew and when they knew it about the nature of Jared Porter and Mickey Calloway. And while the media stayed completely silent about it too, and didn't push them on it. I can't take like this seriously in the slightest when that reality is still uh, a reality. So it's hard to be mad at the players. It's more it, my first instinct there is to be like, just, just cover the team. Just shut up already. You know, stop making a big deal out of this stuff. You know, <laughs> it's rare and it's delightful when the entire table, the entire conference room of players in this—by players, I mean ownership and media and the actual players—are all collectively showing their asses. They've all dropped trout. Everyone, everyone. Yes, it is embarrassing. It is hilarious. Um, again, there's sort of a sick and sad side to it that Zach just alluded to. Uh, and, uh, Joe, uh, how are you feeling about Javier Baez? Thumbs down, New York Mets. That was a good point from Zach about how players, sometimes they need a, a ways to get themselves locked in. And that I could buy that as a, a, just one of those strange ways, um, that some players decide to do that. And that's totally fine. Um, I've never been a fan of, you know, fans booing a, a particular player like maybe I would have booed Adam LaRoche for the White Sox that's about it though um like I don't know I, I've just not been a fan of that so booing your own booing your own players you, you're not a fan of not right. just booing eBay. okay right exactly exactly um like I, I'm always hoping that you know for the players who are underperforming for the White Sox that they'll turn things around, and I I, I imagine it's probably you know a pretty disheartening when you can't even rely on your own um, fans to help you out. And the road, you know, fans on the road make it hard enough, um, and so home games should feel like home games, and um, so. It, that wasn't, you know, I, I just don't think that's, you know, a good move. Like, while you, it's true that fans, you know, paid, spent their own money for a ticket. They have the right to do that. Doesn't necessarily mean that they should. Um, as far as calling out the fans, like, I, I mean, th- there, w- there were better ways that Baez could have gone about that. It, it was 
it was a little strange. Um, probably not a, a great move on his side either to call out the the fan base. But um, I, yeah, it's just kind of a messy situation all around. But yeah, I, I think um, there's just a kind of a strange culture as far as um, the fans in New York um, being so quick to boo their boo their own players. An interesting subtext of this as well has been some Cubs fans or maybe media, but I think Cubs fans sort of coming out and I don't know, castigating New York fans. Like, you don't, you like, you don't know, you don't um, appreciate them. You don't know how to, how to prize these players. It's like, holy cow, Chicago Cubs fans trying to present themselves as the pinnacle of decorum as baseball fans is very, I have to say, very rich. That's been an interesting subtext to follow as long as along with this, as if somehow like they do a right. I think we can agree that New York is, you know, entirely different aside from maybe Philadelphia, an incredibly different animal than maybe anywhere else on the planet. But the idea that somehow Cubs fans have got it figured out and they know when to golf clap. They know when to lightly boo. They know when to cheer loudly. They know when to throw trash on the field. They know when to actually enter the field and visit the pitcher's mound and tackle a pitcher uh, is it's interesting. I like, I like that double standard. They, they need Javier back and Zach wants him back. They need Javier back. The Cubs sign, sign, sign those 250 K's back, man. Give them 250 million uh, thoughts on Cubs fans dropping their monocle over how Javier is being treated after two weeks in New York. They're all screaming around like chickens with their heads cut off. It's like <laughs> they don't know where to turn their their focus, their focus and attention at this point because it sure ain't the team right now. <laughs> that is true. Um, is this going to be a? Oh, wait, wait. I I don't want to talk about the Cubs. I just brought the Cubs back up, and I'm not going to ask more questions about the Cubs. Um, uh, Baez, MVPs, State of the White Sox. Uh, we have, as Darren pointed out, we have a, a very winnable uh, 5-0. and Might be asking a lot. I don't know. But uh, we have a very winnable stretch here. This is the point where I think even back approaching the All-Star break, we looked and said, okay, things change a little bit. September is going to be a little bit more of a breather. There's still some tough series in there, but it's, it's different than what July was, even though July – found those teams reducing their strength, Cleveland, Cubs, a lot of teams bailing, even the Twins to some degree, bailing uh, on the season more than they already had. Uh, do we need to see 5-0? and oh? what, what is uh, this next very winnable stretch of five games? Do they need to run the table 5-0? and oh? Does it need to be 4-1? and one? If they go 2-3, and three, are, are you going to be concerned? Uh, well, at this point, I the only thing that would concern me is an injury. To be honest, I don't even if they go two and three, one and four, zero oh and five. I but I unless Cleveland also wins five or six straight, then I would be concerned. But that seems like a tall task for them to win that many games in a row. Um, but yeah, I again I want to see them go five and zero, oh, four and one because I want to push Houston uh, for that second home field advantage. Um, I'm not, uh, September is when they call up two people. I'm not sure if they're going to, you know, maybe call up Jimmy Lambert and give him a spot start or something. I don't know how they're going to play it this weekend. Um, but even if they do call up a triple A guy to start, it's the Royals and the Pirates, they should still be beating them anyway. 
because um, they're just better in general. But not too concerned. But four and one, five and one, or five and zero oh would be obviously fantastic. Yeah, I don't like in a vacuum at this point, the actual number of wins and losses doesn't really matter all that much. But like if they go one and four or two and three, it probably means that pitchers like Giolito and or Cease or Lynn were getting beat up a little bit or even on the back end of the bullpen. It means someone like Kimbrell or Kopech or Crochet or or uh, or Hendricks are giving up fair numbers of runs to teams that they shouldn't be. So that is going to be concerning. So I think the actual like win loss means a little bit less than just watching how they play, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And you brought out uh, in, in your write up Zach in the loss, sorry, apologies, but thanks for, thanks for falling on the sword there. Uh, that, that uh, uh, you know, Lynn obviously had, had terrible outing, but you know, even, you know, it wasn't necessarily just bad luck. It was that, a really key pitcher in the cutter wasn't performing the way it should. And perhaps if, if another loss is uh, around the corner, then perhaps that will be factor again. And now we start to make, there is maybe some concern building because we don't want the guy to be uh, batting practice in, in the playoffs. So yeah, even, even if it's a close loss, uh, but the cutters perform the way it should. Okay. Maybe, maybe you're okay with that uh, versus just, yeah. You know, maybe what we saw against the Cubs for uh, two or three more starts. Uh, Joe, I remember around All-Star break, you're like, yeah, you know, whatever. They go 500. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to. You weren't getting too excited. I was jumping out of my seat and falling down and turning red. Uh, and it turns out that your long play, you know, uh, was the smarter one because they had the division in, in, in the bag, you know, all this time. Uh, so are you going to get uh, uptight if they only win, say, a couple of these next five? If they go two and three or worse, it would be a disappointing uh, stretch of games for them. These are games that, on paper, they should win, but uh, even with some, even with some backups, you know, getting some starts. But I wouldn't be concerned really, unless there is a significant injury that would um, cut into October. Uh, all right, this has been, of course, a riveting, exciting. You know, you love it. You are getting your money's worth every time out with the Southside Sox podcast. You don't even have to, don't leave a comment. I don't want to see a comment about that. I already know that's what you feel in your heart. Uh, we're winding this one down. Uh, we'll have another one, like, I don't know, tomorrow or something. They never stop. It's relentless. Even when you don't want them, you get one. Uh, but on behalf of uh, Zach Hayes, the guy who took the loss just because because he's like, man, I got a seven game pad. I'm, I'm going to lose a game. Darren Black, who I think I'll talk to you tomorrow, or we'll just have lunch and we'll share our notes. Uh, Super Joseph Reese's, if he's not winning socks math, just walking down the street, window shopping. Uh, he's on a podcast with me as well, straight out of the field office in Indianapolis. This is a one time, guys. You can all talk at once. Thank you uh, very much for joining me on podcast number 63. Great to be here. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. All right. You almost did it. Next time I want it in unison. Okay. Thanks everybody. As always for reading, for sometimes listening, for always watching some combination of those things, but appreciate your readership. We're not here without you. Uh, we'll be back with more podcasts. I don't know, Darren, we're just going to have a slumber party night. So we'll, we'll see you tomorrow night.